Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Guys, we have a great episode for you here today. We have Vince Pagano from Michigan. Vince is an 80-acre landowner up in northern Michigan and had a heck of a year. Vince tagged out in October on two great Michigan bucks. Um, We go into Vince's full habitat plan. We go into his property layout, some of the successes and failures that he's encountered since he's on the property. Uh, we talk about his food plots, their locations, the size of them, how he hunts them. We talk about the two different setups that led to both kills from last fall and how his habitat improvements directly correlated with the kill of these two awesome bucks. We talk about Vince's favorite tree, and there's just some great pro tips in here uh, regarding aspen and... Um, trying different food plot seeds in different climates, different soils. Great, great episode. Excited to have Vince. And we're also going to have this episode going up on our YouTube where you can see the map of Vince's property, where you can see exactly the stuff we're talking about as we're you know, recording this podcast here. So I'll have it uploaded on YouTube uh, later today or tomorrow as well. So make sure you guys can check that out. Be sure to subscribe over there. Now, I want to thank the listeners for just your support. We have had some great reviews um, on Apple iTunes, 
And we are sending out free 5-inch decals to anyone who leaves a review. I know you all have heard me say that a hundred times. But I want to let you know that we do these in batches. So everybody who leaves a review, we get a bunch of them together and then we ship them all out at once. For instance, here's an awesome review from Sleeper247. Excellent info from an easy-to-understand format. It's from Alabama. Thank you, Sleeper. We have another one here from uh, Mike. I've been a follower of many podcasts in other areas of interest. I recently started listening to the hunting podcast and got more involved with habitat management. This podcast is a great listen. Very informative. The layout is straightforward and educational. Great guests with so much knowledge for the listener. I want to add some trees to my property and have been looking at Morse Nursery's website. When I learned Jared was associated with them, I reached to him and he helped me hook me up with a great promotional price. I'm so glad I stumbled across this production and look forward to listening to all the episodes. Mike, thank you very much, sir. Really appreciate it. Guys, there are a bunch of reviews on here. People are leaving their addresses. We know right where to send the decals. And I just want to thank you for doing that, taking the time out of your day. There's a link below. Just scroll down, hit leave a review, type something nice, leave your info, and we will send you a free 5-inch Habitat Podcast decal. Free. All right. I want to thank our partner, Packer Max Cultipackers, for their support in the podcast. You guys have heard me talk about Packer Max for, well, since the very beginning. Um, Lincoln is a top-notch guy, special friend of mine. He's great Cultipackers. Now has great roller crimper attachments to go on your cultipacker with the whole no-till thing. We'll get into that next week when we start breaking down our, our soil segments. And Lincoln will be at a couple trade shows coming up. So if you want to get your hands on some of this stuff yourself, but you know live too far away from Michigan or not near a dealer, check these places out. Packer Max will be at the Grand Rapids Hunting Time Expo January 28th through the 30th. That's coming up next weekend. The Indiana Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo, February 24th through February 27th. And then again, the Iowa Deer Classic, March 4th through 6th. So that's Michigan, Indiana, Iowa. Great centrally located locations for where our listeners are located. If you guys want to check out Lincoln's stuff, be sure to go to one of these shows, say hi, tell them Habitat Podcast sent you, and, you know, obviously if you're going to Think about a cultipacker packer for the spring. Be sure to get your order in now and be sure to uh, use the code HPC25. HPC25, 25 bucks off all the products at PackerMax.com. Guys, I also want to talk about Morse Nursery. As you heard in Mike's iTunes review, we are a dealer now for Morse Nursery. We're helping Frank out on some of the customer service side of things while also getting our, our the main goal is to get our land plan clients hooked up with special Morse pricing and you know recommend for the certain orchards we talk about certain products but for podcast listeners we also have good pricing promotional pricing as Mike mentioned in his review hit us up info at habitatpodcast.com be happy to hook you up um, go take a look at morsenursery.com to see what you'd like uh, I'm a big fan of the crab apples I'm a big fan of the hybrid uh, pears I like the chestnuts, and I like, you know, they drop in different times, August, September, October, November, drop chestnuts. This stuff is huge, guys. Uh, Imagine your property being, you know, this central point of attraction all fall 
with mass trees that you know none of your neighbors have. That's the way I look at it. You know, be be the outlier, be the exception, be the be the shining star in the area, and and be different. So check us out. Info at habitatpodcast.com. Happy to get you guys hooked up with some more trees there. Now, let's get right into it with Vince. Awesome episode. Thank the rest of our partners here first. I want to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, the Habitat Hook, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Afflictor Broadheads, and Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. Couldn't do it without you guys. Couldn't do it without the listeners. Going big with this podcast this year. Any feedback, let us know. Come see us on the Habitat chat group on Facebook. 2,500 members. We're having fun. We love it. And we appreciate you guys. All right. Vince Pagano from Northern Michigan. Two stud Michigan bucks killed in October. Let's hear how he did it and the Habitat work he used to do it. And we're on. All right. Brian, freshly back from the ATA trade show. How you doing, bud? Doing well, Jared. That was a lot packed into one weekend, like usual, nonstop. But it's fun to catch up with old friends and meet some new ones and see what's coming out this year. So successful show as always. Yeah, it was it was really good seeing you and, and Jimmy and catching up with everybody at the show, all of our friends there. Maybe we'll have to do a show recap uh podcast i don't know if the listeners want to hear about it or not but um it'd be pretty good to to kind of go over and wrap all that up yeah sounds Um, good and and we're back back in the swing of things back to work land plans are kicking off here but we had a guy i've been wanting to get on here for honestly probably a couple years now and then he pulled off a season from heaven and uh i just all right vince you're coming on vince how's it going buddy going good good how you guys doing uh, a little Good. overwhelmed right now being on here with you guys. My go-to habitat, habitat guys. I listen to everything you guys put out. You know, the three-hour rides up north are listening to you guys. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, thank you. That's that's the kind of stuff that that makes our day. So we truly appreciate that uh, from the bottom of our hearts. So thank you very much. Um, and we've been following you, or at least I've been following you on the Michigan stuff, the Michigan pages, David's page, and and our chat and everything else as well. Uh, I'm a Michigan guy. I can relate. So why don't you, why don't you start us off? I mean, you, you know how it goes. You could probably host the show yeah. yourself. So <laughs> go, go ahead and uh, yeah. tell us about you, where you're from, where your property is, your family, all that good stuff. Okay. Well, I'm 53 years old. Uh, been married since uh, 92. Uh, beautiful wife who's supportive with everything that I do hunting. Got four daughters. Uh, they all hunt except for one of them. She, she chooses not to hunt, but, um, they all, three of them have deer under their belts. So, you know, they've been successful, uh, started out hunting probably like most people, you know, I'm the early seventies, you know, packed the truck up on the 13th of November and head up North to Houghton Lake area. And we used to hunt the, uh, snowball road area in Prudenville, um, off of M55, uh, very unsuccessful, uh, go up there on the 13th, you know, throw bait out on the 14th and sit in your blind for three days, hoping to see something. And yeah, it just, that's, that, that was, that's my, how my hunting career for really the first, really a long time went, you know, it's 
almost got out of it, started getting into custom cars, muscle cars and stuff. And then uh, family decided to uh, buy property in Misaki County, um, a cabin in 40 acres. And uh, same thing, you know, you'd see the, uh, the does, the occasional year and a half old buck. And uh, I, as in, it was about, we bought the property in 94 and I was lucky enough to be invited to hunt a place in zone three in the thumb area around 2001. And wow, did my eyes open up when I started hunting in the thumb. I mean, just the amount of deer I was seeing, the the bucks I was seeing, and I started being successful. I started really working on my hunting in an area that had the, you know, the two and a half to three and a half year old bucks. And I was, the whole time I was hunting there, I was like, how can I get my property to be like that? And that's when I started getting into habitat, probably around 2005 had the property log, the, the front 40 that we originally owned. Things started getting better. A um, lot of poplar on the property. So, you know, that regrowth started happening three, four years. The deer sightings really popped up. And, and then, you know, 2013 came around. And, you know, you, know, you guys heard all about the uh, the whole APRs thing of uh, 2012, we were trying to get things going up there. Yeah, why don't you give us a little a little snippet of what happened and and where we're at now? I can color it in too for you. Okay. Um, well, in 2012, I was on the I don't know you probably heard of it, the Michigan Sportsman Forum. Oh, I'm on. And, it. Uh, yep. Okay, and uh, now now remember, I'm just starting to see. The, the the one and a half year old box, the four points, the five points, the six points. And now someone's telling me that, you know, that I'm going to have to be real choosy on what I shoot. So <laughs> I was like, Ooh, I wasn't real, you know, supportive of it. And then, then I started asking questions and uh, started asking questions to Tony Smith, um, Jim Brocker, you know, sending messages and, asking and they're like this is going to be good for you guys you know and then I you know you, you just the whole thing of it you're going to let the age class go up and things are gonna and, and I was still kind of iffy on it but the thing that saved me was the whole three years it was let's give it three years if it doesn't work out we can vote it out and um this and I would never vote it out now <laughs> yeah that's, that's um it's funny. So that the APR antler point restrictions in your area and where my new 70 acres is, is three on one side you have to have. Yeah. Right. So we won't go down too far down that rabbit hole right now, but um, basically there's been a lot of, after it's been in for a, a few years now, there's been a lot of good um, feedback, right. If you will. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. People, everybody up by near me, everybody is, um, happy there. I'm not going to say everybody, the majority, a good percentage are <laughs> happy there. They're in there. Um, it's working out, but <clears throat> yeah, things have been getting better every year. And then, uh, believe it or not in 2012, when I started getting excited about it, a, a sign went up at the corner of my front property 
telling me that the back property, the back 40 behind me attached went up for sale. So then I started whispering in my wife's ear, you know, <laughs> we got APRs coming up or we can attach 40 acres. Um, and um, she gave me the okay and we, we pursued it and we ended up purchasing it. Um, wow. Believe it or not, oh, the back 40, a lot of guys, the realtor, they weren't getting any offers. And um, it had a lot to do with, I don't know if you guys have the picture of the property, but there's a lot of um, water on it. There's five acres of wetland on the back there and people, okay. people, people stayed away from it. They, um, I, I think what it was is they, they just didn't realize that when you have water, you get edge and sure. it's the edge that creates the um, buck movement, the deer movement, you know, it's thicker, got a lot of tag elders. So, so I want to, um, let me back you up real quick to the, the baiting years. What was the bait of choice back then? Oh, yeah. Oh man. Um, sugar beets. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All by the, I mean, we, we, we the red wagons, the red uh, trailers that went behind the, the tractors, you know, just, we would load those up and, you know, it was, Dozed, 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 couple year and a half olds, but never see a mature buck or anything, you know, anything of any size. Sure. And, yeah, uh, that even being from Pennsylvania, I always heard that was very popular in, in Michigan back in the 70s and 80s. We couldn't, yes. bait, <clears throat> we couldn't bait in Pennsylvania, so we always were very curious about that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I grew up that way. That's the way I started hunting. And, uh, that's one of the things I always tell the younger guys is um, if you're at a hunting camp and you're telling stories and the guy that's next to you is telling you the story, but he ha- doesn't have anything on the wall or successful stories, don't necessarily listen to them. You know, make your own path. Sure. You know, learn from the people that are successful. You know, that's how, that's how I started listening to, you know, uh, let's see, uh, people that I listen to, Jake, um, Jeff, I mean, you named Dan, I don't know if people know the last names you guys probably do, oh, yeah. have to yep. say them, but these are the people I started listening to and started learning from and reading John Everhart. I mean, those are guys that I read every article, you know, that I could. And, um, it's like, wait a minute, this whole throwing out bait and sitting you know, and, and, and hunting over it, that's, that's not the way, that's not the way that I want to take my hunting. So I had to change. So when you got the newer property, had baiting been outlawed in that area at that uh, point? Uh, the, let's say there was two bands that when I originally got it, yes. When I originally got it there, the, the, the back part, the baiting was um, banned. When we originally got the front 40, though, my neighbor to the north of me actually had a, um, he lived there and he had a feeder that was, it was, rec, what do you call that? Recreational. And he had a, a barrel feeder feeding corn um, seven days a week, three, 365 days a year. He was feeding corn. And uh, it was really hard to uh, to deal with that with him. The, sure. the deers were going there. So yeah, I had to so, change my ways. Yeah. So is that kind of what pushed you into habitat or was it a, a multiple reasons? No, you're, you're dead on. That was, I was like, I have to make it to where the deer 
want to stay here longer before they go over to his bait. And, um, and then that's when I learned that I got to have cover. Um, if you look at that drawing there, the fields to the north, those are his fields that he, uh, he leases those. And, um, and I had to get the deer to, to stay on my property longer before they headed out to those alfalfa fields. And, and for, uh, for those who aren't, aren't aware, we are on uh, also sharing this on video. We're recording this on video. We have Vince's property pulled up. Um, you can see all this on our, on our YouTube page if you're not following. Uh, Vince, sorry, continue. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. So it was um, a, a, a lot of cutting. Um, I had Jake out. So when me and my wife decided to purchase it, the, the first thing that I did was got a hold of Jake at um, uh, Habitat Solutions 360. And I had a lot of email and conversations with Jake, a lot of, a lot of talking with him. And um, he, he thought he could help me. And um, I was like, well, if I'm going to pull the trigger on a, uh, a big piece of big investment in a piece of property. I might as well start out right and get somebody. So I, I don't, I'm not saying that I would have made mistakes, but when you're out there with a chainsaw in your hand, you feel more confident to just keep sure. going because you have a, a habitat consultant that's agreeing with what you're doing. Right. You're not second guessing every tree that you cut. You can get a lot so, more work done that way too, you know, when you're just moving forward the whole time or the road. Definitely. Man, you know? Yeah. 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 When I, when I got the plan back from him, it was pretty overwhelming. Well, you guys do plans for people and you probably hear the same thing, you know, it's like, wow. So what I did right away is I went to work and I do drawings at work on AutoCAD. And I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, do a drawing and I'm going to, instead of doing here and there, I'm going to pick sections of the property and finish like the majority of the work every year. I'll have like a section and I'll just kind of move to, to where what's most important. And that's what I did. And I've been doing that for what, seven years now. Very nice. And what features would you say are, are pretty unique about your property? I see there's a big, so is, is the back to the West and the front to the East? Is that how you're? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I see some, some wetland out there. What else does your property consist of? If somebody's not watching this on video kind of explain, you have a long rectangular 80 runs uh, East West, more or less two forties. Yeah, the, the the original front forty had um, if you there's a there's a marsh in the center with a peninsula that goes into it, and that's a, a huckleberry marsh. It's lot it's real mossy. Uh, the deer will travel through there, and in wet years, the the south side will fill with water, um, but it, on the dry years, the um, it will dry out and the deer have trails. If you look at it on a satellite image, you can see all the deer trails going through it. Okay. So the original front 40 was pretty, that, that whole marsh there is 23 acres. Wow. So, uh, and then the wetland over the wet section over to the West, that's five. So that's a lot of the property. That's just, you can't, you don't hunt, you don't get to it. But what people 
don't understand. Well, I didn't understand at first, but then I started learning, look, reading and watching Dan Infall stuff is that it's transition lines, it's edge, it's, it's, it's got, it's what you want. You can predict the movement of where the bucks are going to be shot or where they're going to be going because of the edge. And, uh, and that, that, that's, that's what it is. That's the, that's the best thing about my property is edge. Yeah, you sure do have a lot of it. And it looks like, is there any topography in terms of yes. drastic topography? Okay. Yeah. On the, um, on the east side, on the east side and the west side of the center marsh, there's probably a 20 foot drop going to the marsh. Okay. And then on the uh, military crest of that, there's trails that are down into the dirt going around that marsh. Um, it's, it's, and it, 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 we, we talk about what were your failures in the early years? The, my failures were not recognizing that, hmm. you know, staying on the food plots that I created and staying on the edge with a stand and not recognizing that deer are going to move on the edge. You know, that took me a while to, it took me to learn, you know, my family that I was hunting with weren't going to show me that, that that wasn't something that they were learning. They were throwing bait out and sitting over a bait pile, you know, but yeah, it was, it was the edge. That was my biggest mistake was not hunting the edge. I mean, there's, you're, you're talking Northern Michigan, everybody not everybody, but a majority of people still bait up there, even with the bait ban, right? Um, and it's just tradition. I mean, it's what we've been doing for how long here? And uh, the fact that you were willing to step away from that and get your hands dirty and spend some money on a plan and, and put some sweat equity into it, uh, it's unique. Do your neighbors around you do any of that up there? No. The, um no, the, the, that's funny. The, the neighbor to the south of me, the, they're not existent. They have an alfalfa field, a, a really thick, um, nasty um, bedding area that a lot of, it's pretty much a giant sanctuary. And uh, it's something that I had to learn because as much as I was doing to my property and as much scent free, good access that I was doing, the deer still felt safer on my Southern neighbor's property because nobody was on that property. It's just a, uh, uh, um, it's basically an investment for him. It's 77 acres and it's got a, he farms out 50 acres of it and the rest of it's just nasty thick. So they have food and cover and I had to figure out how to get them to cross over, over to me. All right. Well, I think my next question is going to be, how'd you do that? Food. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It was food. Um, and boy, did I make some mistakes with food. Let's hear about them. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, back in 2005, when I first had the property logged, I had the logger um, make me some food plots. And you can see them on the uh, on that uh, east property. There's two food plots there. There's one that's longer. And then there's a smaller one over in the, uh, what does that be? The east, northeast corner. And I had the loggers make those for me and they're just too, they're just too small to do the things that I tried doing, which was, uh, let's see, I tried corn, I tried soybeans, 
all huge mistakes because they just they were gone before deer season even came around. Um, so that's when I started learning that, okay, I got to do something. Then, then I went to oats and I tried oats. And then I learned the hard way that oats were good until the weather got cold. And then I don't care what kind of oats you use when, you know, when the, when you get a pretty heavy frost and you know, deer in North, Northern Michigan, you're going to get, you're going to get some cold weather in October and the oats would start to brown out and they would, the deer wouldn't be in them. And then that's when I started turning to clover and rye. Those are my staple. And then, uh, is clover and rye. That was it. And then um, eventually I, I went over to Brasisca too. Um, but that took, took me to probably 2000, probably 2009 or 2010. I started messing around with, um, with Brasisca and the deer loved it. They started really, really liking it. It's just that they were really, it was gone before uh, firearm season. So are you put uh, turnips and radishes or yeah, bigger mix I was, than that? Yeah, actually, what I was using at the beginning was uh, um, shot plot. Okay, evolve harvest shot yeah. plot, um, and um, and it, it turned out well. It turned out good. Um, we we shot deer over it. Uh, it's just that once it was gone, it was gone, and uh, that's when I learned that I also had to overseed it with rye. And then that's what I, then I started taking um, my turnips and whatever I planted, whatever bag, buck on the bag I did that year, I would make sure that come Labor Day weekend when we went up to go fishing and hang out with friends and family, I would take a couple hours and just overseed the plots with, um, with, with um, winter rye, knowing that that would fall in between. And then when the brassica was gone, the rye would still be there. And I did that for years. Not knowing back then, I didn't know that I was actually improving my soil by doing you dealing that. with a lot of sand there. Yes, yes, yep, yeah. I actually, um, um, again, not knowing back in 2005, I did a lot of disking, and if I wouldn't have done that, I probably put myself in the hole by disking. I probably shouldn't have. I brought up a lot of that sand, and I learned that into the back property. So when the back property was made and I had the food plots made back there, I, I never, those have never been disked. Um, I had a great logger back there. Um, Joe, my wife would make lunch for him and we'd go up there and, and see how it was going. And he was doing this um, popping, he called it, uh, he would take the stumps instead of bulldozing, he would just push them and just pop the, um, the stump right out of the ground and then pick it up and shake it and put all the topsoil right back there. Nice. And I never had to bring a bulldozer in to do anything with the plots. Wow. And it, That's huge. Yeah. He was a good guy. What was he doing? What piece of equipment was he using there, Vince? Uh, he was using a skitter uh, or the grapple hook. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, he would just pop them out and then pick them up. You know how they pick them up and then turn them on their side and then they cut them? Well, he'd pick them up and it wasn't real mature. I'll give you that. The, the woods back there wasn't real mature. I mean, the biggest trees were probably 12 inch in diameter. So it probably made it a lot easier. Right. 
but yeah, those, those are some of the mistakes I learned. You know, I got totally got rid of the, the disc and uh, totally no till now. Can't I, I, the sand would just keep coming up. Yeah. It's so. uh, our whole state's pretty, pretty bad. Um, lower peninsula, at least for sure. And yeah, up there, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, we've all made that mistake though. I've been, I have a disc. I've used it for years. I love the fresh dirt, smell of fresh dirt, look of fresh dirt, all of it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I still use it every now and then, but it's, but up, you know, retaining nutrients, soil moisture, soil health, all that. I mean, you know, the drill now, right. So appreciate you going through those mistakes and, uh, and letting us, you know, hear about those. Hopefully a couple of listeners are taking some notes and, and learning from that. So. Yeah, I learned the hard way on that. So, I mean, imagine if you had a soybean plot in the middle of the woods somewhere, how deadly that would be. You know, if, <laughs> oh. they, were, if they were, if they stayed, but sunlight, you know, got a big enough plot to get sun down there, first of all, good soil, deer pressure. I'm tempted to try it up north too, but it's not realistic. For no. Yeah, I think maybe if you have a large, you know, maybe two acres, three acres, you might get away with it, but a half acre, three quarters of an acre, you're not getting away with it. And the deer density is actually grown up there. We've had a couple, couple mild winters in a row and, uh, and they, and they've, well, either the deer density has grown or I've attracted more deer because I can definitely, uh, I'm starting to see more deer than I have in the past. I would say the latter for sure. Um, so let's hear about some successes in terms of habitat uh, strategy or, or setups or manipulation that you did where, and then we'll get into your, your stories here. I want to hear about exactly how you set up where you killed, where you killed these, these two bucks. We haven't even talked about the fact since we hit record that you're having a dream season last year. You tagged out. What was the date you tagged out on? Um, I shot the first buck on October 9th which is way early for me. And then uh, October 22nd, um, Parker, Parker's birthday. I, um, I shot the second buck. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were over two weeks before I tagged out and I tagged out fairly early. Yeah. There's, yeah. Brian's, Brian's got one there. I'll see if I can, I can share the screen here on these other ones, but um, oh yeah, Brian's got them there. A I mean, washed out. hammer Michigan deer, especially up North. I mean, beautiful smaller properties 80 acres like northern michigan pressure everywhere and you're tagged out in october two nice 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 deer both eight points or nine point and eight point what were they yeah the the one was a nine the first one was a nine point um and then the second one was a a, just a a, an eight point he was just a definitely uh something that i uh never thought i would see up there um (laughs) But yeah, I so did shoot in a, I did shoot an eleven pointer. Um, I, you don't have the pictures, but in two thousand fifteen, oh, okay, um, I shot an eleven pointer on the front forty, um, in the um, in the food plot. He actually came into the food plot with two does on. It was it was after a snow, and uh, he came in um, feeding in the food plot with uh, um, two does, two does, and I, I went and sat in that stand. Because 
I didn't want it. I knew that it was because there was about three inches of snow. It was early. It was like October 17th. And I was like, I don't want to go screw stuff up with all the snow. I'll go sit there. And he just come moseying on through with the two does. Yeah, he was another three and a half year old, 11 point. But he, he he's not as big as the, the eight point I got on the 22nd. Okay. So, so are those probably, are those the three biggest you've taken out there then? Um, let's see. Uh, in, I, in 2015, I took the 11 point, three and a half years old. In 2016, um, I took uh, a big eight. That was um, not nearly as big as the one that I just shot this year, but he was a big eight. Um, he was um, three and a half years old. And then, uh, yeah, and then the, then my next was this year right here. So 2016, and I did shoot um, a couple two and a half year olds, a seven point and an eight point in between there. And then this year. Awesome. Awesome. And, and I guess with all those successes in mind, what would be maybe the top couple of things that, that you've done food you mentioned earlier. Um, and maybe we'll get into the two that you shot this year and tagged out before November 1st even got here. Um, what were the habitat setups where, you know, I call it the mousetrap, right? What mousetrap, how did you steer them down into getting in, in your bow range or, or why were they there? Walk us through that if you will. Um, pinch points. Uh, my big both well the second buck this year and then the big eight of 2016 were just narrowing things down to a pinch point and using the well the 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 edge on the marsh was the big six the big eight in uh, 2016 i had i have a tree stand i don't know if you can see the peninsula on the drawing let's see let me share it again here I want to say, because I follow your stuff enough on Facebook, that it's this one right here. That, that's, actually a, um, that's actually a buck bed. The ones that you see in the light blue like that, those are, those are known buck beds okay. that I found. But the, the peninsula to the northwest of there, you'll see it just very little bit from there. Yeah, right in there, you'll see the dark spot right there. That's actually a cedar. Yeah. Then my tree stand is right due south of that you'll see the the blue dot. That's my tree stand. That's the one right there. And what I do, I catch the deer. I caught him coming, going back to his bed, which was the blue spot to the east of him. He was, he was, he, he, I knew that he was eating in the fields and then he would come through and, and yeah, then he would come and go along the edge of the marsh and then he was just hugging that edge. And then he would, yeah, then he got into that pinch point right there and i ended up uh i I ended up getting them following two does right in that pinch point heading back to his bed um the thing that i've learned is pinch points and then your access i have my main access is from the south so most of my hunting that i do if you look at all of my stands are for that east west movement and i'm going in perpendicular from the south um did you mean cold fronts you mean the north wind north wind cold front yes 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 that's my if if you go back to 2017 when i didn't get a deer i never had an opportunity a good shooter buck um and i've went back and looked at it there was very few 
cold fronts that fell on weekends. And with me working, I'm able to take a Friday or a Monday off, but I can't take no Wednesday or Thursday off to head up to hunt. So um, I, I, I really watch the weather for those cold fronts because I need the north wind. Um, I need a north, northwest, northeast. Those are the winds that help me with the south access. And that, that's my scent control access and then pinching them down to give me a bow shot. Okay. So Brian, you got something? No, I was just going to say that's something that we preach all the time is access. It doesn't matter. And you've figured this out, Vince, you talk about failures, but the successes really start to come when you start paying attention to where you're putting your boots and how you're getting in and out of there for sure. Yeah. You know, when, when, when the plan came together with me and Jake, you know, that he was, he'd preach it and, and, you know, and Jake's kind of like a mentor to me now. Um, if I got questions, I just text him and we got kind of a relationship. Now I bounce stuff off of him and, and he lets me know if it's a bad idea, a good idea. And <laughs> excellent. And yeah. And I've learned, I've learned a lot from him and pinch points access you know, that's what you got to do. And he told me when he gave me the plan, cause I wanted, I know you guys might run into this, you know, I, I want, I wanted a plan. So, you know, okay, I need, I need, I need you to tell me what to do. And he's like, these are the best features on your property and we're going to improve them or you're going to improve them. But you know, you, you're going to learn as you hunt the property, you have to, you know, you have to learn and uh, things. And that's what I've been doing. I've been learning the property, you know, you, you yeah, make a change. It's, it's all nuanced, right? Like, you know, we, we walk places and can pick out a tree stand tree or this and that, but if they're moving 40 yards, different direction for, for a certain reason, you know, we, we say then, then adjust, right. Don't, don't just set it in stone adjust. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that was a, that, that, that's the thing that I learned is, um, pinch points and access. You know? Okay. Now on your, your pinch points, explain how you're making these. I assume it's with a chainsaw, but yes, fill me in on how exactly you made this pinch point. Um, and then you know, how wide did you have it? How big were the trees? Where is it in relation to your tree stand? All that good stuff. Okay. The pinch point, we'll, we'll just continue. I'll just continue to explain that one. Cause that one's kind of my favorite spot. It is my favorite spot to hunt. Even though I've shot bucks other places, that area right there is, is my favorite spot. But one, the trees, I'm a ladder stand hunter. So my, my tree stands are in um, conifer. That's my favorite tree is a conifer tree and to just hollow out an area for me to uh, get in there into my ladder stands. One of the reasons I like ladder stands is because eventually I'm going to have my daughters. You, I want them to be able to hunt too and ladder right, stands right. make it easier for them. For sure. And then what I did with this is I picked the tree that I wanted to put the ladder stand in. We put it in there and uh, then I went and I seen the trails where they were coming down there actually in that area there, there was actually three trails that were being used. Um, closest one was 20 yards. The farthest one was about 36 yards. It was right on the edge of the marsh. So what I did was, is um, as I went in there and I chainsaw as a hinge cut, 
a bunch of trees. They were the um, muscle wood. So they don't, I don't know if you've heard of them there. They're, I have a bunch of uh, hawthorn and muscle wood trees and um, they don't hinge very well, but they're good enough to make blockades. And I just took that 36 yard trail and I just hinge cut everything over it knee high and I blocked it off. So now there's two trails that come through. So I have a 20 yard shot and probably about a 30 yard shot. Perfect. And then, and they come around there and um, there, there actually is a little, if you look in there in that area, there's a little green in there. There's actually a little micro plot in there. Now, when I say micro, it's probably um, maybe 20 yard circle, a 20 yard, you know, diameter circle. And there's a couple of trees that are in the center of them, little saplings and stuff. And the, it is a signpost area. The bucks are in there. Yeah, it's just there in there making rubs and scrapes and stuff. So that's what I did is I pinched it all down, make sure I'm within my bow range. And, uh, and I have good back cover. Um, and I try to do everything for a, a, a north wind. So, uh, did you plant something in that kill plot or did you just let it come up natural? No, no, actually it's been a work in progress. It was, um, it was there when me and Jake walked the property and it was um, canary grass. For some reason it's, I had the soil sample done on it. I sent it out and it's really good soil. Hmm. Um, so I just, there's been a lot of um, roundup applications and rye roundup rye. And then this year I actually went in there this or last fall, I actually went in there on Labor Day and um, did rye and um, crimson clover, red clover and white clover. It came in great. Nice. Uh, So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like come spring. But, yeah, I do plant it and uh, it works well. The thing that I do have to keep doing is it wants to the, the canopy wants to swallow it up and it takes away the sunlight. So I just, every year I have to go in there and keep trimming it back so that it gets the sunlight. I have a couple of questions, Vince, on your, on your story so far. Uh, first, I guess a comment. I actually sure. shot my book, uh, this is my first book out of a Reed Canary food plot this year. Like you, like you're saying soil was great. The brassicas did amazing. My thought was probably cause there's never been a food plot there before. And just all that nutrients just sitting there waiting. I'm not positive, but um, your, your pinch point, you said you have a trail at 20 and a trail at 30 or, or yeah, around 30. Now, what is in between those trails? And did you make two trails versus one, you know, 30 yard wide opening? What I ended up doing was um, I, I ended up there's, there's, there's one trail that comes from the bedding area from the east, from where the, the where you can see the um, the buck bed. We're in the blue, and yep. it, it's two that come and they go down. Or no, there's one that comes out and then they go down to the two. It used to be three. I got rid of the farthest one. Okay. And then what I and then what I did was is um I have a video I I took and I um made from the edge of the food plot the micro plot I made a triangle of hinge cuts. So it's wider at the edge of the micro plot. And then it goes out to a point because I, because I think what was happening is, is when the bucks were coming from the East, they were, they were able to look into the food plot 
from that distance and see if there was any does or any bucks in there. And I wanted to eliminate that. So what I did is I almost made a blockade by making a triangle of hinge cuts. And now there's a trail that goes up high towards me in the tree stand at 20 yards. And then on that side of the triangle, and then there's another trail that goes on the other side of the triangle, which is around 28 to 30 yards. And those are the two trails. Yeah, but you're enhancing what was kind of naturally there as trails, but you're, you're making it, you're enhancing it. You're, they're make, you're making it, they have to travel through the chute to be able to see and continue moving onward, which puts them in bow range for you. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to and, stop and not trying to make the deer do something they don't want to do good on yeah. you for paying attention and seeing where they want to be and just making it better and enhancing it. Like Jared said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny in 2017 no 2018 um the closer trail i was sitting in there in a cold front morning i think it was like november 1st or something like that and uh i had two does to the east and i had two bucks come down the front trail of the triangle and um i end up shooting the seven point well tony smith was up there at his hunting cabin that's not too far from me and uh I taxed him and he came over that year and uh, he helped me track it, helped me drag it. It was, it was, it was one of my favorite hunts. Very nice. Yeah. He probably, he probably dubbed it like he dubs every other buck, right? His nice four letter word. He calls them all. (laughs) Tony likes to call everybody's buck a dink. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. It's an, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I would say it's a nice, it's a great area. I, I love it. And I, I always find myself and Brian, you probably know, I, I try myself, find myself wanting to not do too much. You know, I, I try, if I go, I don't want to screw it up. It's a good spot. I just don't want to me a long time to learn that, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So that is where you shot. Which buck this year? The first one? No, I, I I never sat there this year. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I never sat there this year. So that kind was of bummed a, about that. Well, that was a good example of a of a mouse trap, quote unquote, as we call them. Um, I appreciate you diving deep into, into that. I like to I wanna this year in the podcast, I want to dive deeper into some of the conversation we have and really get more specific on some stuff. Um, that was perfect. So let's hear another one. I want to hear exactly where you shot the two this year. Okay. I, if you want to hear a mousetrap, we'll go to the second buck that I shot on October 22nd. Now, this one was shot in the southwest corner of the property. Um, yeah, down in there. And I was now again, I'm using the pinch point of the excuse me, of the edge of the water, the the wetland right there. And I mean, I when I say it was in the corner, it was right on my property border. Yeah. Like right in there. What ended up happening is, is that that area right there is a transition zone where the deer like to hang out before they head to the, to the food plot to the North. And I have a mature apple tree. I'm sure, you know, inside the food plot, the destination plot to the North, there's a, there's a mature apple tree that just look it's it's loaded with apple trees pretty much every year. I found that apple tree 
before I had the property logged and I basically put red tape all around it <laughs> and told my logger, don't hurt this apple tree. And then we made the plot around it. Oh man. Excellent. It, well, what I ended up doing in, 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 this is COVID related, Brian. So you feel like this is that in the, uh, um, spring of 2020, having a lot of free time, kids out of school, barely working. I went up and I actually put a tree stand. Um, I, you can see the, there's a road that goes for my tractor to go into that food plot. And I only went very, I only went in like maybe 20 yards off that road. Cause I knew that the deer were traveling in that transition zone. And I hung a licking vine and I had a ton of deer on camera. Well, deer season came around in 2020 and I sat that tree stand probably two, three times. I never saw a deer. And then I left the camera out and I noticed that I started getting pictures of the deer coming from the south, coming from the southwest, going towards the licking branch. So they were coming right from the corner of my property. So I was like, well, maybe what I, maybe I'm too far and they're not reaching the licking branch until it's dark. The bucks weren't. So I was like, okay, so come 2021 spring, I went out there, believe it or not, there's another apple tree there. And that's what's going on in that Southwest corner down there. There's another mature apple tree and it was hang The deer were hanging up under that apple tree. So I moved my stand. And there you go, um, Jared, you were talking about adjusting. Yeah. And, and there you go. I had to adjust because, so I moved my stand not very far, maybe maybe 60 to 70 yards to the southwest, found a conifer tree, and I put it in there. And it's, it's about a 20-yard shot to the apple tree. Nice cover. I hinge cut some trees. I made sure the, the trail that the deer are using coming off of my neighbor's property was nice and clear. My tree stands aimed to, is named into my property. Um, I had already had a deer under my belt by the time October 22nd come around. I still haven't set the stand. I was doing some work in the barn. I said, you know what? It's kind of, it's just deery out. I'm going to go hunt. I want to see deer. So I just ended up going out there and, uh, it was nice because it was a nice, the leaves were wet. I got barely a walk to get to the stand from the, um, from the road. So I drove the golf cart down there, stopped about, you know, halfway down and then walked the rest of the way and got in the stand. Not I wasn't in the stand for a half hour and I looked to the North of me into the transition zone and there was a doe family group bedded down in there. Oh, wow. So they were, they were betting just on this side of the destination plot. I had a west wind um, using the milkweed, and it, the wind was perfect. It was just going right down the road, basically. Had fawns running all around me for the, most of the night, raining off and on. And then the, then the deer all ran past me at a certain time and went to the neighbors behind me. And I, I knew Phil's a great guy. And he tells me, you know, if you, if you want to walk the property, you know, you can go ahead. I don't, but I knew there was buck bet. I knew there was bedding along the water on his property. Six, six o'clock. 
I'm sitting there and I hear a, I hear a fawn bleat behind me. So I'm like, okay, it's the fawns coming back. Then I hear heavy footsteps, no grunting, but heavy footsteps. And I'm like, oh, it must be the, it must be a mature doe and her fawns. So I, I turn around to my left and I, and I look and I seen the side of his rack his his, it would be his right side. I'm like, oh no, I go, I'm going to get another opportunity at a mature buck. And, uh, he, he headed towards the, uh, he, he stayed on my property and headed towards the, um, the West and he went into a, 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 just a whole stand of conifers and I can see him in there and I can see his rack and he kept licking his nose and the does were all underneath me. I'm like, all right, well, my scent control's working and my wind was blowing to the, to the East. And, uh, well, I knew there was a scrape right where the trail began. There was a scrape there. And that's exactly what he did. I just kind of shifted in the stand. He, he ended up turning and, and coming and coming down the, the um, road, going towards the road to his scrape. And I um, shot him at 18 yards in his scrape. Um, he bolted onto the neighbor's property and I watched him stop and do that whole tail flicker. And I, I felt good about the shot. I heard the thud. I, he, he did the whole mule kick. And I'm like, oh man, well, what does it do? It starts raining. We had like a, um, we had lake effect rain that day. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? It's raining. I, I, I feel good about my shot. So um, I went ahead and uh, got a hold of my wife, my supportive wife. And I was like, hey, you got to go to, I, I'm not risking the deer's too big. I'm going to go down to the spot when I get down at dark, but um, I want to get a dog lined up. My wife got a whole, I don't know if you know her, but uh, um, Shannon Smith, uh, she's a great lady. She's a hell of a, her and chief. And I got a hold of Shannon. Yeah, she's, she's great. And, uh, and so my wife got a hold of Shannon. In the meantime, I get a text message. I have a good friend, Eric, Eric Altimore. He, um, it's funny. We, he has, he lives by me down here in Macomb County, but then his property up North is only five miles away. Awesome. So we're always doing things. Well, he shot a deer. He ended up shooting a three and a half year old buck too. We were probably minutes apart from shooting a buck and he's in Misaki County, just North of me. Weather fronts, you know? buddy. Weather fronts. I mean, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So needless to say, I, I waited till it got dark. I, I went over to the arrow and uh, it was soaked in blood. I knew I made a good shot. Drove over to his place. We found his deer. He double lunged his deer. And then I made a decision to let mine lay because I wasn't 100% sure. I thought maybe it might have been back liver. Shannon came out in the morning and um, told her the situation. And he only went 60 yards. And he was, he was just on the other side of the road, 60 yards. But I, when I walked up to him, it was like, wow, that, that was unexpected. I knew he was big, but I didn't realize that he was that big. So, but that, that, that was that one. That was, that was very unexpected. I went through my pictures, my, my um, library of pictures that I saved. And uh, I think I got a picture of him from last year, a nighttime picture. Oh man. Yeah. I got he's his a, he's a stud. He's a stud. I got his jaw in the freezer and um, I'm going to take one of the teeth and send it out. Okay. Yeah. He's, 
Yeah. For, yeah. I mean, I mean, you sound like you're hunting in Southern Michigan up there right now, all this action, <laughs> all this deer action going on. And, but you have the peace and tranquility of a cabin in the woods and, and everything else. It's really, it sounds really nice. <laughs> sure does. Yeah. But we'll get you guys out there for a tour. You got, you're up there now, you know, come and walk it, you know, have some I'll lunch. Be I'll be there. I, I think, um, so, I mean, you're necking both these spots down. Oh, by the way, how do you, how do you, what do you have to do to find a lucky apple tree in the woods? Cause I don't think any, either of my places have uh, <laughs> any of that. That is some good stuff right there. Right. Well, the one thing I'll tell you that some, I forgot who it was that told me is walk in the spring, walk your property in the spring during the uh, blooming. Yeah. The blossoms. And, yep. Yeah. The oh, blossoms. Yeah. You'll, you'll know. And that's how I found mine. I actually have, let's see, this will be, I've planted a ton and, but I have um, one, two, I had four mature apple trees, but one of them didn't make it. It, um, it ended up dying. The one thing though, I'll tell you, and I don't know if you follow the pictures that I put out, but uh, the, the apple trees definitely attract bears. Yes. Tell us about that. How the heck do you deal with it? Well, the mature trees can handle, I mean, I had bears crawling that, climbing that tree. I mean, all the way up inside it. Um, I've lost two, two apple trees that were um, in that whole, like two to three years where the, if it, if it has anything, they were crab apple trees that I planted and if you leave any crab apples for that, like late October, November, they will bust through the cages to get to the crab apples and destroy them. So I make sure before I leave now for uh, um, close the cabin up, I actually take a special ride out and um, rip all of the um, fruit off of any tree that I see, all the young ones, and make sure that they don't have it because the deer, the bear will just destroy them. Yeah. That's a pro tip right there, Vince. Pro tip. And what you're also doing by doing that is you're focusing the tree's energy on the roots more if you're putting the fruit off the tree, right? So yeah, 100% fruit, get rid of it. They put more energy into growth. I'm not just roots, but growth is in general. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bear, bears are definitely um, an issue when you have fruit trees and, and you'll learn that now. You'll learn that. Great. Great. <laughs> I know. And there's bears up there too, where we're at from, from what I've heard. Um, interesting. So did you shoot both of those bucks in that spot this year? Um, the, the, the big eight we shot, what I told you was in the Southwest corner and the, um, the uh, nine pointer was shot in the food plot that okay. one just to the North. So they were within a hundred yards of each other. Gotcha. In, in that southwest corner. That is awesome. Now, I'm just trying to think here. Any other pro tips that Vince learned up north in northern Michigan on his 80 that we can talk to the listeners about here? I mean, those sto- I love hearing those stories. It gets me fired up. It's only January. We have a long way to go, but... <laughs> I mean, that is just awesome. Did, are you doing any more logging coming up? Um, tell us about 
what your timber looks like now, any understory coming up, but what, what are you dealing with in terms of sight lines? How far can you see? Yeah, no, um, from the, uh, I have a lot of um, poplar on the property, both front and back. Um, so the, the, the ground cover is really good right now because it's been what, seven years. But one of the things, one of my projects for 2022 is um, my, the crown of the trees that I left when I had the logging, oak trees, some uh, soft maple, some hard maple, it's really starting to shade out my food plots. You know, when I left them seven years ago, I thought, okay, I didn't real well, I, I realized it, but it's starting to come true. The, the crown I got on my back food plot, the one that's um, all the way to the, um, to the north on the north piece, I have some uh, oak trees that, um, yeah, that one there, the, the oak trees, red oaks, And, um, you know, back when I had the property logged, it was, you know, you don't touch oak trees, you know, that's not what we say. Don't touch the oak trees. Well, (laughs) I wish I would have made a little bit more money off of these oak trees because they're not doing me any good. And now I got to fight the lean to get them to fall the way that I want them to fall. So, yeah, so I have, I have some trees to be taken down around there and pretty much all of the food plots I probably got maybe two to three weekends of uh, big mature hard maple, soft maple, oak, red oak that have to come down. So when you were doing your poplar aspen cuts, what'd that look like? What were they coming in there for? Were they coming in there and wiping out three, five acres at a time? Were they taking single big trees? I, don't, I doubt they probably were, but tell me about what they did there and, and what they were using it for. I was talking about this earlier with, um, a friend of ours, Rajan. So I wanted to wanted to get your thoughts on it. As far as how what what my purpose was to have them log and in that. Well, as far as why they even wanted to take them or what they did with them and and how oh, okay. they how they went about taking them out. Did they clear cut an area? Did they pull a couple out, select cut it? What did they do? Yeah, um, most both cuts that I had at the 2005 and then the 2013 were for the it was for paper. Okay. They wanted it for paper. Um, the agreement that I had actually with um, with both of them um, was uh, leave all the all the poplar was to be taken. No matter in the areas that I designated as areas, like if you look at my road frontage in front of the cabin, I actually told them not to take any of that because I wanted. So there is mature poplar probably 50 yards, 60 yards from the road in, but I wanted to keep the privacy for the cabin to have that all still be. And plus, you know, it just looks better than having it all thick and nasty. And and I don't hunt up there. So I left that alone. Um, But everything, you probably can look at it in the map and see where it's thinner. That was all, all the Aspen was, or Poplar was completely taken out. Just a, just a, clear cut, but leave all of the um, soft maple and hard maple that were single stem. That was the agreement that I told them. If it's single stem, you know, a good looking tree, that single stem, leave it. But if it's got four, you know, go ahead and take them. And, um, and that was the agreement that I had on the front, on the front, the back one, I, there wasn't that many oak up front, but in the back, I had oaks mixed in too. 
and when I told the guy, you know, leave the red oak, any good red oak, but um, go ahead and um, take all of the um, um, poplar and leave the hard maple and leave the um, soft maple if it's, you know, straight. And that's the way I left it. Now, I did have a, um, I did go and I, I only had them take the center of the back piece. Just picture a, I don't know, a 50-yard border all the way around the back piece because I didn't want them messing with the edge. I didn't want the edge around the marsh or the edge on the wetland. I didn't want them messing with any of that because I knew the deer were already moving in those areas and I, I didn't want them going in there and taking anything. And plus the areas that I was knew I was going to set up tree stands. I didn't want it to, I knew from the front how thick it can get. And I didn't want it to get so thick that I wasn't going to be able to hunt or I was going to have to constantly be, be clearing shooting lanes because Boy, when you start cutting that stuff, it'll it'll grow in so thick. It will. And, it really your, will. Your choice on leaving the soft maple single pole trees. Which what was your reason behind that? For a uh, hinge cutting. For hinge oh, cutting <laughs> for a side cover. Yep, I figured as much. I just wanted to, just wanted to hear it. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> hard maple. I get. I understand that. Oaks, I get, right? Some value in the future. But, um, yeah, all right. Well, that, that answered my question. So Yeah, I wanted to make sure that I could immediately get side cover. And uh, so that's that was my plan anyway. It seems to be uh, – it seemed to have worked. Yeah. But one thing, too, I'll tell you, if you're going to get logging done and, and you know that stuff's going to grow in, the, the um, poplar is going to – the shoots are going to come up, just um, – like I have a couple corridors that um, I went and just when the, when it was clear cut and there was nothing there, I went and took some yellow ribbon and I just kept round up every year and it created uh, travel corridors um, where the, the poplar, the, when it's coming, the shoots are coming up, you hit them with roundup a couple times and it'll, they won't come back anymore. And um, it, if you stay on top of it, you can have nice, um, nice travel corridors that's your that's your deer trail you're just you're just spraying a what three two foot wide swath right yeah because it's gonna get yeah it's gonna get nasty and thick pretty quick yeah um, and um good advice i used a backpack sprayer and i knew where i wanted them to go by by trees and stuff and i just um marked it from day one and that's actually, if you look at the pinch point, that's um, the one along the edge of the marsh, the yellow that goes to the west, that's actually a, a travel corridor through the um, poplar that I created. And I just keep spraying it with a backpack sprayer, you know, once a year and the deer use it. How's that working? Are they using it? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And it's... Middle of middle of summer, the um, poplar on the left and the right side of it, as you're walking through it, it's head high. And in, in there, in there, they're running, they're walking right through there. That's perfect. That's a good tip for my friend Art. Art, if you're listening on that land plan, try that too. That's great. That's great stuff. I think we're on my property up north. It's it's hard maple. It's aspen and it's uh, beach. So yeah. I'm not lucky enough to have any oaks that I found yet, but um, 
when they I'm getting a cut as soon as I possibly can. And I think uh, uh, I'm gonna have to do what you just said there because that is that's a good plan. Yeah, it works well. Um, a lot of people struggle with um, like, what do you do? And I found from my experience in the front is just just hit it with Roundup. So Vince, I appreciate your time. It's already it's already going over an hour. This is awesome. I could do this all night long. Um, I w- we always wrap this up with, well, you know the drill. Want to hear what your favorite tree is? It's funny you say that because we just we've we've just been talking about my favorite tree. Really? It's the it's the poplar. It's the it's at, it, it is. I mean, it's I don't a monoculture. Had that, Brian, have we had that? I don't think so. I love it. You could turn a property around to have deer level cover. I think the quickest, if you clear cut a poplar stand and you can create travel corridors through it and you can have head, head level deer head level cover within three, four years, maybe even less. Yeah. And the great thing about it is it's just, you can just constantly be changing it. I mean, you, as it matures, you cut, as it matures, you cut and new shoots come up. There you go. That's awesome. I think that's awesome. I think um, that's a new one there and I haven't heard that yet. So I'm going to hit you one more time with a question we've asked once or twice. What's your favorite habitat implement that you've used on your property over the years? What do you revert back to the most or maybe your most successful tool? I think I might know the, your answer. Hit backpack sprayer. Oh, I would have Backpack sprayer. With, oh. with the amount of aspen that I had to make travel corridors and in, in food plots and working on that little micro plot, you know, that little canary grass, getting rid of that canary grass and stuff. It's my backpack sprayer. I'm, I'm carrying four gallons of Roundup all summer long doing all of my stuff. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. If I had that there and a seed spreader, I, I could do a lot. Of, I can, we can do a lot of good with those two. Definitely. Well, hopefully you have uh, your shed already full of Roundup because uh, yeah. it's pricey now, buddy. So. I know. It's like gold. I have some in my uh, – I bought some when uh, I knew this was going to happen. It's I got it locked up in the basement. There you go. Right right in the safe next to the guns. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on tonight, Vince. Really, really appreciate it. Love following along. Love your support of the, of the show. And, um yeah, we'll catch you on the Michigan Sportsman Forum. So uh, let, us, let, let everybody know how they can find you online if you want. Otherwise, you can, you can be the Northern Michigan recluse and, and say goodnight, whatever you want. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's kind of – it's I love talk hunting and, and just being able to talk with you guys is great. But uh, if anybody wants to hear stories or how I do things, I have a page that I do. It's a Hunt Fish Family. Um, I just kind of share stuff that me and my daughters do both habitat and just good stuff with us, but yeah. That's awesome. And that is hunt hyphen fish hyphen family for anybody who wants to follow along. It's a great page. So Vince, thanks so much, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, hopefully get to meet you sometime soon and uh, talk some more habitat. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot guys. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. 
on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com, we have our Habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras. The Habitat Hook from Nation's Creations. Packer Max Cultipackers. Afflictor Broadheads. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. And Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Mm-hmm.